Hello crazy flock and back once again, but we're gonna be not talking about shit now. We're gonna be talking about the gold of 2019. Moving on to the best of 2019. I am your host Ian Gallo Loco, and with me again, after piling through that shit, Mr. Nickers Chicken. <laughs> I'm still alive, but it's good to be here. Yep. Uh, so as we mentioned, uh, in our previous one, we talked about our least favorite, our own personal opinions about our worst of the year, and now that we have traveled and climbed through the sewer drains like Andy Dufresne, we've submerged into the rain, literally rain, it's kind of raining here too, and we could be washed away with what was great about 2019. 2019 was actually a pretty strong year when it came to the good stuff. Uh, so much so that it got hard for us to make these lists. So much so that we both, funny enough, have the same number of mentions that we just have to get out there. So, yeah, how have you felt about the good of 2019, Nick? Because there also were number ones that made a lot of money, too. Yeah. Uh, any of these movies in this list would probably be number one on some people's list just because it was, I think, such a strong year, and especially towards the end of the year. So, I, you know, was, this was a really hard decision to make on yeah. some of these. And I'm going to mention the ones, like I said, that are probably on most people's list that, that just have to be mentioned because they were good in their own right. Yeah. Uh, so we're just going to do, like, a quick rapid fire. We're just going to go what, right back and forth with... What our honorable mentions are, since we have the same number, uh, I'm going to go, uh, Ready or Not. Shazam. <laughs> John Wick 3. <laughs> Midsummer. Ad Aster. Missing Link. Long Shot. Dr. Sleep. Bombshell. Queen and Slim. Just Mercy. Body with My Family. Good Boys. The Report. Rocket Man. Honey Boy. Spider-Man, Far From Home. Little Women. Midsummer. Ad Astra. Honey Boy. Marriage Story. Ford vs. Ferrari. Ready or Not. Batman vs. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It Chapter 2. How to Train Your Dragon 3. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Peanut Butter Falcon. Spider-Man, Far From Home. Joe jo, jo Rabbit. How to Train Your Dragon 3. Shazam. TMNT vs. Batman. And my number one mention that was the biggest surprise that I enjoyed, Angry Birds 2. I, I am not joking. Nick is looking at the DVD right here. <laughs> I was dreading that. I was pissed off every time I saw the trailer, and I hate the first one. But people told me, watch the second one. It's much better. You have one that has an F to one that it's a B. <laughs> oh, my God. Because guess what? You know what this is? Just like a long Looney Tunes. And it has jokes that are funny. Because guess what? Different writers, different director. I, I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but check out Angry Birds 2. Especially if you hate the first one. Which I did. I haven't seen either of them, so I can't really say anything. I would. Yeah. Alright. Cool. So. And then the last one I mentioned is Rocket Man. Okay, yeah. Uh, yep, easily all ones that were 
varying of Ugh. joy. It pained me to lose some of those off, but I did it. Yep. Uh, I think the ones that I was most... Uh, I don't know why I can't put this on here. Were uh, Honey Boy, Peanut Butter Falcon, and maybe, but I just have... I, I said it in my review, Ford vs. Ferrari. Uh, but anyway... We made those tough choices, but now it's now time to... that guilt. But now we, we have to show respect to what was the gold, the real gold, in our opinion, of 2019. So to start off things, Nick, what's your number 15 of oh, 2019? Definitely one of the more shocking movies, probably. Because um, the trailer actually looked funny. Um, that's actually Olivia Wilde's Booksmart. Um, I will have that later on, so I'm not gonna. Damn, that was absolutely hilarious. Um, it was fast-paced, funny. Uh, Olivia Wilde had definitely had a fresh take on it, um, and it did like the seemingly impossible by adding like a new spin on a coming-of-age comedy. And uh, these two girls, man, especially the one from Last Man Standing, yeah, the skinnier one. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, wait. Speaking, speak, speaking of Last Man Standing, <laughs> guy's in it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, plays um, the dad. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Amy and Molly were their names. Yeah, right. It's been. I have it, but I, I haven't rewatched it. But the yeah. one one watch was amazing. I mean, it just it. I don't know. It, you just felt so close to them the whole time, and it, it was cool to see them go through their experiences, and it was. Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I think I might have teared up and laughed so hard a couple of the times. And it was just, like I said, a fresh new take on coming of age comedy, and I really enjoyed it. And it had to go in my top 15. It booted a couple movies off, you know, into the mentions, but I felt like it was worth talking about. Yep, like I mentioned, uh, I'll be bringing my opinion about that later on. So, to move on to my number 15, I'm pretty sure you've heard me talk about this too, but. This is probably the first on the list that I've seen that you have not. <laughs> and that's The Nightingale. Yeah. Uh, if you have gone back and you listened to it, this was another one that was in my Batcher reviews I released like last week or so. Uh, this is just the most brutal, probably one of the most disturbing films that, I've, that I saw all year. And it was just, of course, a shame that this would not be in a theater anywhere near here and then number two it's not even gonna be on blu-ray available here until february so it'd be a month baby it'd be it'd be a late viewing for a lot of people so i finally just watched it on amazon prime uh because i heard people saying that yep subject matter is not for everybody it also has some very uh scenes that are gonna probably wreck you but the acting was great, uh, and the directing, which this is Jennifer Kent's second movie. Her first one was The Babadook, which I really love, too. Uh, the only thing that I'll give this as, <laughs> like I mentioned in my thing, my review of it, uh, this might be a one-view for several people, <laughs> because there's especially one part where you're like, okay, uh, yeah, I'm seeing some very disturbing imagery, can't get worse than that. 
Nope, it does. It has a part that rocked me to my core. And I was just like, what? But the biggest thing is that this is that Jennifer Kent is now a name I'm putting on my horror list that I'm gonna watch her stuff because she's brave and not flinching at all with when it comes to the material. So yeah, number 15, Nightingale. I don't know, but I might get this just to show Damon <laughs> because this could fall right up his alley. Year 14. My 14 was the third installment of Keanu Reeves' Brilliance, John Wick. Okay. Um, beginning to end, <laughs> this movie was crazy. Uh, just when you think, you know, it can't get crazier. The action, the guns, knives, whatever kind of weapons were used in the movie, there was tons of them. Um... It was just a fun ride, man. Uh, these movies are so much... This has revitalized Keanu Reeves' career in a way for a lot of people. And Halle Berry was good. Ian McShane was good. Lawrence Fishburne was good. Um, Angelica Houston was good. Uh, I just... In my opinion, John Wick keeps getting stronger. I, are they making a fourth one? They, they <laughs> heavily tease it in this. Uh, well, regardless if they do or not, I think this... John Wick keeps getting stronger as time goes on, and it's going to be hard. <laughs> I keep saying that it's going to be hard for this one, if there is a next one, to be better than, you know, three, two, or one. But uh, like I said, just a really fun movie and definitely worth seeing. Yeah. Uh, well, I mentioned it. It was on my honorable mentions. Uh, I rewatched it. Uh, not too long ago, just to just to see again how I feel about some of these films. Uh, I kind of remember my feeling being about the same as I saw in theater. I personally still like the first one the most, just because I think it's the most uh, like helmed, like as far as like structure and like time wise, and it doesn't try to set up another thing, which was one of the things that was a little bit of a nick niche for me with this is like the ending really s tries to set up a lot and I'm like okay but this is what these are starting to become that they're just setting up for the next one and I kind of want a conclusion actually now um, and then my other kind of nitpick on it was I felt that the middle kind of drags at some points especially when a part of he has to go to the desert uh, and then there involves a giant decision that's made that I was just, I, I'm on off with. But this is easily Keanu Reeves' strongest franchise he's ever been a part of. Uh, and people argue with you about that. I know, but I have stated in my defense that several people that I even think John Wick, the first one, is his best work as far as acting and stunt work. So. Yeah, and it, it did also take me my second time when I watched it to realize, oh, why was this called Parallel? What was it? Parabellum. Parabellum. Oh, that's, uh, what, French for uh, t uh, to have war or whatever. Have war. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, my number 14 uh, <laughs> is definitely a very small... Very niche film that nobody knows about, made by a small company. It's just the fourth one in it. In it. Toy Story 4. 
this series has proven to be one of the strongest animations of all time, and I was very concerned going into the fourth one that why are they doing a fourth one? Because I thought the third one pretty much wrapped up everything pretty beautifully. Uh, and then I then I was blown away when I, when I saw it. again Keanu Reeves making another appearance in this, uh, not being really let down in that many ways possible. Uh, the animation has just gotten better. It looks amazing, almost photorealistic. Uh, the only reason why it, though, started to fall on me in my list is I rewatched it, and it didn't have the biggest impact again. I just still feel like 3 was a more solid conclusion, and just the way that I felt about some characters. Uh, but, however, it's still very entertaining. I really like the addition of Sporky and uh, <laughs> Bunny and Duck. Because yeah, you can't go wrong with Jordan Peele and King Maiku. Uh, but, yeah, it just was, by the slimmest things, about that I felt differently the second time I watched it, why it fell. So, I know I, I, know I might be hearing it later, but, yeah, my number 14, Toy Story 4. Number 13 for you. Well, a man I've grown to love in the last couple of years and the wonderful director he's become in this Taika Waititi. Um, Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, Jojo is a German boy living with a single mother and his mother is hiding a girl. Jewish girl. Okay, Jewish girl. <laughs> and... Uh, Played by Scarlett Johansson as the mom. <laughs> oh, God, I love her. <laughs> um, but Tiger with TT plays Adolf Hitler. Well, and, imaginary. Okay, imaginary, but he... <laughs> it's just absolutely perfect. And he looks the part... Uh, I guess sounds the part, too, you know. But um, this is just a blend of reverent humor and the serious ideas... Definitely probably won't be in everyone's taste. That, no. That'll probably get quite a few people, but... Tell me that Hitler Nazi jokes yeah. won't, won't fly with some people? But, like I said, either way, like, it's an anti-hate satire, and it's extremely audacious, and takes a lot of risks, but I think it all worked out in the end. And that boy that... What's his name? Roman Griffin Davis. He mm -hmm. was spectacular. Yeah. And I feel like he does deserve some kind of recognition, which he probably won't get. No. But um, the whole cast was great. Rebel Wilson <laughs> was great. Did she fall on this? If she did, it was behind the I wall. Don't if, if, she if, she did. She, if she did, it was off screen. <laughs> I loved her. Sam Rockwell, you know, mm -hmm. just everybody was great. Uh, I love Taika Waititi. I, you know, what he did with Mandalorian, uh, that's another subject. But. Yeah, it's or great. It made my 13, and it very well... It, like I said, this is a hard decision to make, but <laughs> I felt like Jojo Rabbit definitely deserved to be out there. Yep, Jojo was another one of my honorable mentions. Uh, yeah, I had a really good time with it. Uh, surprisingly, it also had a couple of, you know, touching, tear-jerking tear moments. Uh, I thought Scarlett Johansson was really good in it, only to have one other performance that might get mentioned. Uh, 
My the only thing that started to drive it though out of being mentioned was that I only felt like the balance act of doing the comedy and the drama was really jarring a lot of times and it didn't flow as well. But I still commend Taika Waititi because to do something like this in 2019 is was not heard of. And he's just become another one of the directors that I just follow. Like, I don't care what that is. I see his name. I'm going to go see it. Um, my number 13 actually is the highest uh, rating I will give to my animation. And that's The Missing Link. A film that I was very disappointed that nobody went to go see. Lost almost... 200 million for the studio, Leica, which I have been a giant supporter for many years now. Uh, it took me the second time that I watched it to realize this is actually my personal favorite uh, animation movie of the year because it's very well crafted with the stop motion, the voice acting is really good. It doesn't fall into tropes that a lot of these studio films would have. And it's just original. And I feel, and with the award that it got at the Golden Globes, helps it now get more recognition. So I hope more people see it because Leica needs money. And I don't want them to go away because I've really loved a number of their films. Now, is Missing Link my favorite of theirs? No. My personal favorite is still Kubo and the Two Strings, which I felt was very underappreciated when it came to award season. But the craft that went into this, the story, the fact that they actually don't shy away. There's dark imagery in here sometimes. And Zach Galifianakis has the so-called missing link, a.k.a. Uh, what was the name again or something? Susan. <laughs> Just spot-on casting. Missing Link. I loved it. People need to see it. People need to see Leica just in general. <laughs> uh, you want to say anything about yeah, that? Was that that was in your honorable mentions? Yeah, so. that was one of the hard ones to leave off because I was really strong supporter of this as well. Um, shot beautifully. I love stop motion. Um, Hugh Jackman, Zach Galifianakis, always Aldana, mm -hmm. all great. Um, did not this this movie did not disappoint me at all. Uh, it was, I felt connected with everybody, especially Galifianakis. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I just it was definitely different. It, it got underappreciated, and yeah. much more people, many more people, should have seen this. And I I was disappointed with the outcome of seeing how much it made. And it it was really hard between the two animated films. I thought were the best of the year, but this was this fell second barely. That's not saying it could have been, <laughs> not have been first, you know, obviously, but, but yeah, I highly, highly, highly recommend people seeing this, and it needs to get more recognition. And it obviously is Golden Globes, which is awesome, and I hope it better be up <laughs> for a freaking Oscar. Well, based on what I've seen that are up for awards in the animation department, this should at least be up there. That's good. Because uh, Lion King is on there. <laughs> anyway. Uh, number 12. Number 12 is actually a movie we just saw last night. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not, and I don't feel like it gets a fair shot right now because I just saw it 
and I'm still collecting my thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. And um, but man, it's 1917 was. Um, I'm gonna hold off on mine. Freaking great. Um, two guys, two British soldiers, basically told, you know, are given orders in a race against time to save 1,600 people, aka soldiers, I guess mm -hmm. you can call them. Comrades, how about yeah. that? Uh, including Blake's own brother. Yeah, one of the main two. And I think it was Schofield and Blake were the two guys. Mm -hmm. And cool um, cameos by Mark Strong. Colin Firth. Colin Firth and Benedict Cumberbatch. You didn't um, say that right. Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch, Oxford University. Um, but this movie from beginning to end was a thrill ride. Um, and it felt extremely real at parts. Um, shot wonderfully, like I said. The costumes were great. Mm -hmm. The I don't know if you call them props because they probably were real guns. Yeah. I'm going to say the prop department was great. Just, yeah, props. Um, the trench parts were cool, seeing like what it would be like them having to eat crap mm -hmm. and having to sleep at points because you know they probably hardly ever slept and them sleeping on each other. Um, all the bodies everywhere. Um, something I happened. The, I I'm love not the spoil, bodies everywhere. Well, <laughs> the MRSA part. But uh, there was, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It was, it was great because I just saw it and I'm still collecting my thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have to see it again. We literally just saw it yesterday. Yeah, we did. So... It could, it, it, could have, it could go up later on higher in the list. I don't know. But for right now, I think it's... I, for people that are fans of these kind of movies, you know, war movies, especially World War One era movies, this was seemed like it was pretty accurate. And I think Sam Mendez's distant relative was a big part of this because he lent a bunch of information. Yeah. So you never know what was right, what was wrong. But from what, according to what he said... You know, and there are definitely sad parts in this movie. Um, got me a couple times. But definitely go see this. I can't wait to watch it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I'll be holding off on my opinion about that. Uh, my number 12 is the sophomore effort of Mr. Jordan Peele, Us. Oh. Um, I thought... This was a very well-constructed uh, second outing in the horror genre from Mr. Peel, who is now being labeled as the new voice of his generation with the matter that he has done with Get Out or previously, which was also up for an Oscar, uh, which I cold-heartedly love that film. It's definitely my top of the decade. Uh, but the acting... The people that he got for this, the editing, the way that it was shot, all the inspirations that you see. And then, of course, the uh, just messages that you can see, but you have to also be paying attention to follow. Because, uh, what was it, like, one of the first things I heard someone say that I showed it to, I'm still I'm still trying to process a lot of this stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, he, he, he dives into a lot of stuff. Um, but especially, uh, gosh, I know I'm going to butcher her name. Yeah. She's amazing. She, she is amazing. Everybody has to do a dual role in this. 
Even, hey, we mentioned her earlier. Elizabeth Moss is also in this and is really good in it again. But she just is on a whole nother level, Lapita. And I know she is going to be the Tony Collette for me this year where she is not going to be up oh, for an Oscar. Dude. She's not going to be up for awards. Oh. And it's a fucking shame and sham. Um, That'd be a travesty. And then if, it, if I had to say why it kind of got a little bit knocked down is there's a twist that happens that I saw coming a mile away. However, then with that twist, there was then talks about the other twists that are theories. Um, but anyway, said it's funny. It's got really good horror in it. It's a, it's also got a very interesting soundtrack. <laughs> Uh, but again, as I have been developing, especially with horror, I am just now looking at directors and I'm like, if they're making something, I'm going to go see it. Jordan Peele is easily in my top three right now. So yeah, number 12 for me, us. That'll be later on. <laughs> okay. I figured, uh, number 11, you mentioned it earlier. I think it was 14 on your list. I can't remember. Yep. Number one animated, I think, of the year was Toy Story 4. I thought, again, like Ian said, the first three were masterpieces. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, how the hell is a fourth installment going to live up to that? And I thought it did in every way. Josh Cooley, what is it? Nine years? I think last, I think, yeah. 2010. Nine years we had to wait for Toy Story 4. Not that anybody thought that should have been another one, but I'm happy they did it. And the people they added... Uh, Keanu Reeves, oh god, what was his name? I, I, wanted, I wanted to say Boom Kaboom, but that wasn't yeah. it. What? It wasn't? But he was the guy on the bike, and he was yeah. absolutely awesome. Forky, great. He was obviously the main character in the movie. Kind of. Um, and then you had Cam Peel. <laughs> not that I, I think, just didn't mention Peel. Yeah, I think they were the best additions. Uh, just not only comic relief, but actually they complimented everybody pretty well. It was just what Toy Story has been. It was heartwarming, funny, beautifully animated. I mean, good God, you can't go wrong with that. And like I said, it unlikely met the expectations of everybody and it, the feat of extending and perhaps concluding <laughs> a practically perfect animated saga. And I, I have stated this, it is my favorite animated series and Looks like, I really hope this is the end, but... Over a billion dollars says no. <laughs> um, <laughs> fair enough. And I, it will be up for Best Animated of the Year. I don't know yeah. if it's going to win it, but I think Missing Link is the only thing. Or How to Train Your Dragon 3 hopefully will be on there, too. But out of the three, Batman versus D and D on there uh, too. It ain't gonna be on there. Yeah, it but ain't. I think it should be. You're right. Uh, but yeah, it did not disappoint. Hell, even throw Angry Birds on there. <laughs> uh, yeah, Toy Story Four. I'm sure most people have seen it, and if you haven't, uh, first three. If you loved them, you're gonna like this. Very touching story. You know, didn't like I said, it, it didn't hit me as hard as the first three, but. It still extended my favorite series, and that's all. That's what I wanted, and I got most of what I wanted on Toy Story Four. Okay. Um, my 
number 11 before the top 10. I'm sure you'll be talking about it later. Knives Out. Oh. oh. So you will hold, sh- hold her on that. Uh, I, I believe if I said this in my review on there that I was very curious going into this. Ryan Johnson has been a... Oh, he's had a whirlwind of a career right now. Ever since Looper and uh, Last Jedi. Uh, but I was really liking that he was going to be going to a, a different kind of rope. And decided to do a mystery, murder mystery, which we don't really get in theaters. Or good ones. For that or matter. good, yeah. Uh, and then the cast. Mm. Amazing cast, especially... Never ending. The... I am always going to get her name wrong, too. The nurse. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. you're talking about. I, I actually thought she was... If Daniel Craig Daniel was Craig. not as entertaining as he was... She's the best thing in it because I think that she has the best range out of everybody. Um, and if it wasn't just for my nitpicks on how I feel about the ending and that I kind of saw who the killer was going to be going in, I still had a blast watching this. It was fun. It was funny. And, I mean, if you can have Daniel Craig talk about donuts... And it makes me laugh a whole lot. And that accent. Yeah. That's the other thing. You're either going to be a fan of his accent and his acting in this, or you're going to hate it. (laughs) But, yeah. Knives Out was easily one of the more entertaining movies of the year. Just had a few plot things for me that drove it down a little. But now, it started the top ten. And what's your number ten? This is where it started getting real rough. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, God. How did something like what I'm getting ready to say get pushed down to 10? Because I literally got it tattooed on me now. And that's Avengers Endgame. Oh, okay. Um, I'll be talking about that later. The culmination of all of these years uh, we've been watching Marvel movies. This was, well, exciting, entertaining emotionally impactful obviously I cried at the end but it does the highest the grossing movie of the year ever right now well there's still talk about in- well it should be ever because the, the movie that has the most money is okay. anyways it was a very satisfying finale to the Infinity Saga mm-hmm. and uh I'm not even going to go into the cast because it's entirely too long. Probably the biggest cast in history. Mm-hmm. Um, everything about this movie screams, well, I don't want to sort of say nerddom, but, I mean, for most people, it, and even people that don't really know about comics and stuff, I'm sure enjoyed this, just because of everything that happened. The epic battles. I mean... There was so much that had to go into this and so much that had to be talked about that I feel like they fit it in. And they did it really well. And it pains me that it's number 10 because it was so great. And I can't really... <laughs> it's hard to say what was wrong with it. That's why I was saying it's, how's it number 10? Well, obviously there's something. And it just... I don't know. I think it's certain things that happened towards the end that kind of got me. I'm not going to go into it. Because, you know, I'll probably get backlash for it. But um, I just I just found nine movies that were better than it and that I felt more close to. And it's, 
it literally you can't go wrong with Avengers Endgame. I I got all this to say. Okay. Uh, like I said, I'll be talking about it again. Uh, my number ten is one you previously mentioned, and yep, it's pretty, uh, you know, fresh in the head. But from what I saw, nineteen seventeen was really epically awesome. Uh, you already touched on uh, characters and stuff. Uh, the directing to make it seem like one whole shot, except I'm gonna say this, except for one part where it breaks that. Don't do it. Uh, was great in a way to make it feel like you're there with the soldiers. Um, the acting across the board was pretty well well executed. I just felt like if it had more characterization on who these guys were, I would have liked it more. And but I don't know if the fact that I've also just seen it. But also, I have a f- weird feeling about how this is going to hold up as far as home viewing. Because this was definitely a theater experience. Many people compared it to Dunkirk. I think it's a bit better than Dunkirk. Dunkirk! So that's all I'll say about it. But now, breaking out of that, at number nine. Uh, this is painting me, man. I'm telling you. I guess, I guess it's a tribute to the, the top 15. I'll just leave it at that. But Quentin Tarantino's latest, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'll be talking about that later. I saw that in the summer. I think it reason, the only reason I'll say it did drop kind of lower for me is because it wasn't, it probably isn't in my top of Tarantino's films. Um, but it was great, don't get me wrong. Uh, wonderful cast, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Kurt Russell, Dakota Fanning. Emil Hirsch, Luke Perry, Al Pacino, yeah, okay. You all get the gist. Everybody wants to work with Tarantino. And he's one of my favorite directors. Um, but this movie was, like, solidly, definitely solidly crafted for sure. And Tarantino's provocative impulses with, like, kind of like a mature filmmaker's vision of this crazy story, you know, and... Um, it's uh, basically Rick Dalton stars in this western in the 1950s and he's struggling to find uh, meaningful work in Hollywood and he feels like he doesn't get recognized anymore and really he's a has-been yeah <laughs> and he gets together with Cliff Booth and uh, it's basically he's an easygoing best friend Long time stunt double. Yeah. And they happen to live next door to Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. And it goes into the whole being altered by members of the Manson family and all that. And that's insanity. But, yeah, this movie was had brought everything to the table. Uh, comedy, action, drama... It's your typical Tarantino film, and the it did not disappoint, and the trailer didn't really give anything away, which is usually the case. And yeah, my number nine was Time in Hollywood. Yep. Again, as I mentioned, I'll be talking about that one later. Uh, my number nine <laughs> is Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Which I have a funny feeling you might be talking later. Uh, this was just a three and a half hour long 
exploration on Martin Scorsese's career. And that's not a dig at it in any way, because his style and his career is really tight and awesome. Uh, you have the amazing huge cast, which I'm pretty sure we've now had three movies in a row that have a giant cast. Robert De Niro, Al Pacino again. Joe Pesci coming out of <laughs> retirement. And I think, in my opinion, giving one of the performances of the year. Uh, Anna Paquin showing up, too. Ray Romano. Ray Romano, too. Also giving a really strong performance. Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel. Uh, this just look at this Frank the Irishman who worked for the mob as a, as a hitman and he's recounting the life. Uh, just the fact that it's on Netflix, the caliber that they got on here, and the fact that it was undaring to be three and a half hours, which is a small dig on it. It gets long. Uh, but if you're so entranced by the performances, the writing, the directing, you will lose all thought of how much time has gone by. Uh, and the fact that it's on Netflix, it's like, yeah, I can watch it in my comfortable chair, and I can pause it, and I can go to the bathroom, because you will go to the bathroom. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is just... Now, is it in my top five of Scorsese's? No. I don't think it's better than some of his other works, but the fact of this cast, this work, and this what they achieved, yeah, it's going to help make Netflix a more predominant thing in the awards time, and it's going to make streaming stuff get more praise, too. So, yeah, that's my On Irishman, number nine. Number eight. Number eight was... Uh... What do I want to say? I feel like it's the reinvention of Shia LaBeouf, uh, Peanut Butter Falcon. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was the best feel-good movie of the year. Um, basically, it's about a boy with Down syndrome running away from a residential nursing home mm -hmm. and to pursue his dream of becoming a professional wrestler, which is freaking cool. And... Um, he basically, I think, Shia LaBeouf's kind of like an outlaw, you know, he's kind of like well, you know, an outsider and becomes his you know, coach and ally in a way, and I feel like, the, like I said, the feel-good adventure was brought to life by outstanding performances. Um, like I said, Shia LaBeouf was great, Dakota Johnson was awesome, Zach Gottsagen actually was the boy who played Zach, <laughs> and I think he, oh my god. I think he was one of the better performers of the year and probably won't I know he won't get any recognition no, but I feel like he should get some and I know Shia is pushing for it but I just felt really good because you know Shia had been struggling and then this last year was a really good year for him yeah. and I felt like this is the turning point and I felt like Peanut Butter Falcon found like a rich modern resonance and like a kind of like a classic American fiction story and it's I just, it was a feel-good story from beginning to end, and I just felt great watching it the whole time, and I was excited about what was going to happen next, and, uh, yeah, I just was really impressed by this movie. Yeah, no, even on here on the DVD, it says, uh, Film Inquiry says, the sweetest darn film of the decade. Um, 
And again, it was a honorable mention to me. If I had to say which one was my favorite of his, I would say that Peanut Butter Falcon was the one bit over. Uh, the only reason why it got knocked down a bit for me is that me personally, I felt like they shot the ending and then redid it. Not going to give everything away, but it just felt like they did something to basically make it more feel good. And I was like, I, I get that, but I felt like you shot it in this way and then you just reshot it. So that was my only dig on it. I thought Shy was amazing. I thought Zach was great. I always like when Dakota's actually in something good because then she actually is good. And then Bruce Stern for the little bit that he's in it, which he was also in Once Upon a Time, he's always great to watch. Shout out to Mick Foley and Jake the Snake. Always. Yep. Thank you. Jake the Snake basically playing his part now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Number eight for me, you mentioned it earlier, and that's Avengers Endgame. Uh, yeah, this, as you said, was the culmination of 11 or so years. Uh, everybody is back, uh, and just... They couldn't fit everybody on the cover. No, they couldn't, really. Uh, I think that this is a definite standout for comic book movies as far as... But you have to invest into it. If you just go into this, just seeing a couple of them, I'm going to be like, you're not going to be impacted by this one bit. Um, I think Thanos is still one of the biggest and best villains of all time. Uh, thought that Chris Evans gave a great performance. Robert Downey Jr., I think, gives Oscar-caliber performance in this as Iron Man. I mean, I think so. Uh, Scarlett Johansson is given more screen time as Black Widow, which I can't wait for her solo film now. Which she's finally freaking getting. My girl's in it. Uh, and it's what I would consider to be fan service sometimes done right. <laughs> when there's stuff that happens in the climax of this, it's like, yep, that was made to appease some fans. But you know what? We've suffered. We've had some suffering now because we had a downer note. We need something to pick us up. There's one image that I will. Hardly stick up for, but I'm fine with it, and I'm not going to bring it up. Again, the only factor for me that helped push it down just a little bit is the runtime. And the fact that it's really slow at the beginning, but also I say it's deserved that. So, crowning achievement, it's the highest grossing film of all time. Except if you adjust for inflation right now. Mar Marvel's Avengers Endgame, my number eight of the year. Disney's racking it up, baby. <laughs> they did this year. Uh, number seven. Yep. We just saw this one on Christmas. Wait, I okay. Think this tie. Is... We have a tie. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. I didn't think that was going to happen. Uh, Our number seven. Yes. Uh, I'll start this one off. Yep. Um, Uncut Gems. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, again, Adam Sanders recent past hasn't been too great no. so I was terrified but then I saw the trailer and I was like okay this is different and I saw the Safety brothers were doing it and I was like that's interesting too and then I heard about the research that Adam Sandler did for this film and basically he's I guess you call him charismatic a, ju a jeweler yeah and I can't remember what the place was called that he worked at but, um, basically he makes like a high stakes bet and that could lead to the downfall of really of his life, or it could be a good thing, you know, either way. But and like it's a, 
I feel like it's like a high high wire act the whole time, and it's a something different for him because it's more of a drama. Yeah. And he must balance his basically his business, his family, and like adversaries on all sides, and basically in the pursuit of the ultimate win. And I think I'm going to tell you right now. I think this is his best performance. Yeah. And I've obviously loved his old comedies, and you know he's done good movies and he's done pretty good dramas. But I think this one was the culmination of his career, and I'm happy it's kind of later of his career. Maybe this will you know jumpstart something. But I feel like this was completely different for him. Everybody around him was great, and I'll let you go from there. Well, I mean, this was also one that was in my jumble of reviews that I put out like a few or a week ago. Yeah, I think that this is Adam Sandler's best performance. I always love it when I see that he's doing drama, mostly because a lot of the comedies now, I don't like them a whole lot, (laughs) except for Hotel Transylvania. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, again, one of my biggest concerns going into that was, how much did Kevin Durant in this? (laughs) Garnett. Garnett, sorry. It's all right. And then... uh, it was not too bad. Yeah, uh, for being his first film. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't really touch on much more. Uh, I still want to check out some other Safety Brothers stuff, especially Good Time, which had Robert Pattinson in it. Yeah, they're good with uh, anxiety-inducing cinema. Yeah. And, you know, so it's 100% uh, knocked out of the park in this one. The only thing I could say that made it drop a little bit is because I can understand, and I felt like this because the way that it's filmed, like a lot of people are talking over another so it can be hard to hear some stuff sometimes but yeah. but I think Adam Sandler just if you didn't cast him in this it wouldn't be as good and an awesome year for Lakeith Stanfield I mean, yeah. he was in this and you know, I was out oh, I think I remember what else was the end. I know he's got some upcoming stuff yeah. but I highly recommend watching his stuff yeah. he was good in it um, he's also amazing in Atlanta <laughs> yes um, but this just proves that if Adam Sandler can be a good drama actor. He given, can be. Given the right material. And the Safety Brothers, it's, it's just a home run, knock it out of the park movie. Uh, yeah, it, it shocked me about how good it was. I did not did not expect it to be in my top. But I, I was excited from the trailer. So yep. I loved it from beginning to end. Yep. I don't have that many faults other than that one that I said. Uh, so I guess move on to number six. All right, well... Which I'm just surprised that we tied on seven. <laughs> yeah, me too. I d- definitely didn't... I thought it was an impossibility, to be honest, because it's harder to tie on better movies. But uh, one you spoke about earlier, Us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I absolutely... You know, me and my buddies, they all know that I'm a huge Jordan Peele fan and have been since... Because not all of us are. Well, I don't know. <laughs> There's one person that doesn't like it. Okay, well... But anyways, his work... And this, you know, get out. He's getting ready to do the Twilight Zones, which I'm really excited about. Um, Candyman coming up. He produced that, though. Yeah. So, again. But uh, my love for him started in Mad TV, and then he started with the skits with Peel or Keith. <laughs> uh, but this movie was freaking crazy from beginning to end. Um, I think it was just as inventive as Get Out. Uh, it was extremely ambitious. Um he, I think, in a way, he kind of beat the sophomore jinx a lot of people have. And I did like Get Out better, I will say that. But this movie was did not disappoint. And the Peter Nwongo mm-hmm. was 
is brilliant. She, I think, deserves best actress. Um, she, she better at least be up for it. Uh, like you be. said, she won't be. She won't. But I uh, loved Winston Duke. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a beast. I mean, look at him. Former in Black, Black Panther. Look at him in Black Panther, for God's sakes. And Elizabeth Moss was great. Uh, the kids were awesome, yeah, too. I, didn't, I don't think I'd ever seen them before, but uh, just the dynamics of the two families and just everything that happened around them was crazy. Uh, Jordan Peele is definitely somebody, a force to be reckoned with, I think, in all worlds. Hopefully. Not just horror. But I, I hopefully, you know, his, his career is extended. He may stop at some point just to be like, I've done all I can do, and I feel like, you know. Or maybe he'll have a break. Yeah. But as far as I'm concerned, ever, anything that he puts out, I will at least give a chance to. Mm-hmm. And I love this movie. Uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to his future stuff. Us was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I already touched on Us, so I won't really dwell on it too much. Uh, my number six is another <laughs> very underappreciated as far as box office goes horror film, and it's a sequel to a very cherished first one that was in 1980, and I'm talking about Doctor Sleep. Uh, I was very concerned when I first heard that they were making a sequel to The Shining because I love The Shining, uh, but then when I saw the cast with Ian McGregor and Rebecca Ferguson. I was like, okay. And then when I heard it was Mike Flanagan directing, I was like, okay, nope, I'm interested now because Mike Flanagan is becoming another one of my top directors, especially in horror that I follow because he has shown that he can do Stephen King adaptations when he did Gerald's Game and then when he did Haunting of Hill House series on Netflix too. Uh, This was a... Perfect, I think, capper to a master class film where it homages the style of it, but it is its own thing. The villains, I think, especially with Rebecca Ferguson, are some of the best developed villains in a while. I mean, she was named Rose the Hat. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I could understand why some people might find the beginning slow and it kind of moves a little bit slow at some points. I honestly think that this I felt the time more in Shining the second time I watched it than when I watched Doctor Sleep the first time uh, I think Ian McGregor again I think he gives a great performance in this the visuals like I stated are great also another kid actress is really talented in this is the new Shining kid and then uh, it did the impossible where I think it's a horror sequel to what is known as a masterpiece. It stands on its own, and it doesn't break away from what the source material is even called. It wasn't called Shining 2. It actually was called Dr. Sleep, which is the actual book. And, again, nobody saw this. It didn't make enough money. And I just get very mad whenever I see that, and it needs more attention. Uh, Any chance they'll be coming up again? Or was that one of your honorable mentions? That was one of my honorable mentions. Okay, yeah. So, any quick thoughts on that that yeah, it was I, good. Haven't, I haven't said? Um, I think my favorite part about it was it was kind of a standalone thing. And mm-hmm. it wasn't... You mean, you kind of got 
shining feelings every now and then, but you could still tell it was on its own. And Ewan McGregor did a great job. He was Dan Torrance. And uh, grown up Dan Torrance. Yeah. And Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, well, I love her. Uh, <laughs> the kid was great. Um, what was her dang name? Abra? Abra? Maybe. I've okay. only seen it once. Uh, I don't yeah, so I, need, I, need, I, I think this is a movie I'll need to see again because... A lot, a lot happened during this movie, yeah. and uh, you know it kept hitting me from different areas emotionally. And I but, think, and I think if you're a fan of the book, yeah, uh, and you hated the way The Shining ends, it makes up for it with the fact of how it end, uh, how Doctor Sleep ends. Yeah, because I think it pays more of the homage to the book too. No, I completely understand why it's in your top. Uh, I extremely enjoyed this. It's, again, sad that it. Didn't make jack shit in the box office. Yeah. And and I think people were just scared oh, yeah. of it not living up to expectations. And but before I finish that out, uh, I'll go ahead and mention why. Why did it just fall, though, a little bit? Because when it has to do the, like, throw, go back in time, and it's like, yep, that's clearly not <laughs> young Danny from The Shining. That's clearly not Shelley Duvall. But they at least kind of look like them. So I'll give that a pass. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, gone through 15 to 6, but you know what? I think we're going to take a small break and uh, give a shout-out to the sponsor of this, and that's Anchor. Use it. Make a podcast. I do it. Well, we've talked about some shining gold, gold maybe some silver, but now it's time to talk. I got the golden ticket. The cream of the crop. The top five. 2019 in our opinion so what made it that far up your list Mr. Nick but didn't edge out four uh, one of the more shocking ones I think of the year um, we kind of recently I think it was in November when we saw this uh, Ford v Ferrari um, not much into racing I'm going to start that right off the bat but mm-hmm. um this cast, first of all, is Matt Damon, Christian Bale, John Bernthal, Tracy Letts, uh, what's the kid's name, Noah? Yeah. Yeah. He was also in Honey Boy yes. and Quiet Place. He's awesome. Oh my God, what, what a career. <laughs> but uh, basically it's about the Carol Shelby, who's uh, an American automotive designer, and uh, his well, I guess counterpart, the fearless racer, who was Ken Miles, who was... You know, the wonderful Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. And um, basically they're trying to defy the law of physics and their own personal demons to build a vehicle that's going to beat the Ford Motor Company. Or for the Ford <laughs> Motor Company. <that's laughs> beat gonna the Ferrari. Beat, gonna beat Enzo Ferrari at the uh, Le Mans, the 24-hour race in France. And I think it was the 60s. Mm-hmm. And um, basically it delivered... On all fronts, like the basically, it has the auto action that you expect, but it balances it with like human drama, and it satisfied to me. It satisfied non-racing, you know, enthusiasts, and because I'm not one at all. But uh, the performances from Matt Damon and Christian Bale were great. I'm just good to see them both doing you know great things, especially Matt Damon. And I was blown away by Tracy Letts, who played Henry Ford. Um, 
he's an interesting man, and it showed in this movie, and he played him perfectly, and he's had a pretty great year, too, with Little Women as well. Mm-hmm. And I just, from beginning to end, this is exhilarating. It was fun. Like I said, it was great performances from top to bottom. John Bernthal was great. Um, yeah, I think it's maybe the most surprising movie of the year for me, just because I, the trailer looked pretty cool, but I didn't think it was going to hit me as well as it did. So, Ford vs. Ferrari, number five. Uh, yeah, I mentioned it in my other review of this uh, and why it was an honorable mention. Uh, yeah, I thought that the cast and the directing really elevated this, uh, mostly because I felt like it was also very... I, I, I've, I've just seen this a hundred times. Uh, and like you, also, not a giant racing fan. However, racing movies, actually not too bad. <laughs> I don't know how that works. Uh, and also, I'm not a car guy. I can't stand to know about cars, but, oh well, this appealed to me also. Uh, and like you said, Christian Bale, I think, is amazing in it. I think Matt Damon is really good, and it's finally good to see him in something that's... He's not also being good. It is good itself. And like I mentioned, James Mangold, who directed this, of Logan, did a very good job at piecing this together and stuff. Uh, Again, if it just wasn't what felt like a lot of the same that I've seen before, I probably would like it more. Uh, But also a little bit of a fun fact about this. You know this is not called Ford vs. Ferrari outside of the U.S.? Oh, boy. It's called Lobot 66. Mm, cool. Because that's what a lot of people would just know it as. Yeah. They, would, they wouldn't know it as Ford vs. Ferrari. They would just know it as Lobot 66. But, no. I mean, I get it. Solid choice. Uh, my number five start of my cream of the crop, you mentioned it earlier. And that is Booksmart. <clears throat> uh, the... Second time that I viewed this is why this jumped up so much higher for me. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, I think the chemistry with the two leads feels like that they're friends. Um, all the supporting acting is also, I think, top-notch in this. Olivia Wilde also directing this, being a first time, is a very good sight that she can do other stuff, too. Uh <laughs> But this also got elevated because of a few other things, uh, as far as, like, scene-wise. For one, uh, I've heard some people debate the decision, but I actually kind of like the decision at one part towards the end where, like, they get muted and the music ticks over because you're then just focused on their face reactions. But (laughs) the other reason why this jumped up so high on my list, personally, is because it had one part that just has me rolling laughing every single time, and I'm not going to describe what it is, except for... Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, It just gets me every time, and it's just hilarious. And, again, this just keeps up the trend that almost every year we at least get something of a coming-to-age story that can appeal to, like, you know, a different generation. So I still think that this... Eighth grade are probably two of the best that I've seen this decade. So, yep, really funny, touching, great acting and chemistry overall. My number five, Booksmart. 
Number four. Four horsemen. Fortune four. Yeah. All right. Um, you mentioned this earlier. Um, the wonderful Netflix film. And Scorsese's The Irishman. Mm -hmm. uh, I absolutely love this freaking movie. Um, Scorsese's got another epic gangster crime drama. Imagine that. But it, uh, I think it like it earns its extended time that it is. It's three and a half hours long. Mm -hmm. And uh, it he, he revisits a lot, like a lot of familiar things, like familiar themes and stuff. But uh, it's poignant. You know, it's funny. It's got profound effects. Um, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, as you mentioned, Anna Paquin, Harvey Keitel, uh, top to bottom, amazing. Uh, Al Pacino is the infamous Jimmy Hoffa, and then Pesci's the Russell Buffalino. <laughs> um, but like, as far as like, I was just like really enthusiastic the whole time about this movie and I just felt like I was glued to the television and I, I cannot believe that I the, the runtime I see I could see it being three and a half hours and I could see people say they felt that but for me I was just you know really into the story and I don't it did not let me down and Scorsese is brilliant and this is hard for me to keep it at four, but it ended up being there. I love this movie, and it's definitely probably in the top ten of Scorsese. And the fact of how he feels about Marvel movies infects you in no way about this. Uh, no, but I don't. I don't like what he said. I don't have to like what he said, but that doesn't, you know, detract me from liking this movie. No. Okay, because I don't give two shits what he thinks about Marvel movies. Because <laughs> uh, you you can have your opinion. Uh, my number four, uh, you mentioned it earlier, and it's another lengthy movie with a big cast and a very well-known director. That's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I really enjoyed this the first time I watched it, uh, but what pushed it over was the second viewing. Uh, because I initially felt like I had a problem slash I got cheated with uh, what happens with uh, Bruce Dern's character, because I felt like it was a really big build to kind of nothing, almost. Um, but on the second viewing, I kind of felt less about that, and I also then got reminded about that Quentin Tarantino himself does do that with other films of his. Uh, I think that this is a just top-notch performance by almost everybody, if not everybody, all around. Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, he's not getting a lot of talk, but I understand because there's a lot of good competition out there for lead. But, yeah, Brad Pitt also getting great recognition. Again, it's just a top-tier nominations as far as when it comes to award stuff. And he had the weirdest part. He, he did. He made you care about a guy who probably killed his wife. Uh... He did. Al and Al Pacino, again, showing up, betraying a real-life person. Luke Perry in his last role that you get to see him in is kind of unnerving and tension-building, too. Uh, it's also a very love letter to old Hollywood and the cinema stuff because that's just what Quentin Tarantino loves, and we don't, we don't get movies like this. We only get them from him. 
and I'm sad that he's probably only making one more film after this. He says that. He says it, but, and he's, but he's owned up to that a lot. That's good. Uh, I hope it's true. But if it is, I think he'll... And if he does the Star Trek thing that he wants to do, that is going to be just, whoa. Um, <laughs> the only little thing that I'm going to throw in there, why it got punched down under the th- top three for me, is there was one thing, though, that didn't change, in my opinion, when I first saw it, which was... I know that some people are not going to understand this, but wh- why did you really cast Margot Robbie? Other than the fact that she actually does kind of look like Sharon Tate. <laughs> but when it comes to like the character in this, I kind of felt like there wasn't a whole lot there. And with the way that the direction does go with the story, because it doesn't do history, this is a fantasy. And boy, that was an epic, awesome ending. But it just felt like Sharon Tate's character was not as a predominant thing just as a presence and I don't know why you necessarily needed an A-list actress to do it but then again I'm also seeing Margot Robbie so I'm perfectly fine uh yeah number four for me Once Upon a Time in Hollywood top three now number three for Mr. Nickerish Chicken uh we Again, recently saw it as another end-of-the-year movie. Uh, Ian already talked about it, and uh, I think it's the probably the best and most groundbreaking murder mystery of okay. all time, Knives Out. Uh, I've been a huge fan of this movie since we saw it. Um, actually, it was number one for a while. Like I said, it, these three shuffled, but it, Knives Out was number one for a really long time, just because I thought it was... I think it sharpens the old murder mystery tropes. I think it's like... Obviously, it's keenly assembled because of the cast. The cast is freaking amazing. And it's got Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anya de Armas is the girl. Okay. Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Don Johnson, Michael Shannon, Lakeith Stanfield. I mean, it's, and then Ryan Johnson being Ryan Johnson having a 50 50 effect on people. Hmm. That's the only part that kind of I was like, okay, going into it. But. From beginning to end, this was a freaking ride. Daniel Craig is Blanc. <laughs> James Blanc. No. <laughs> I like this uh, one over James. But, yeah, it. I, I just liked how it was different than any other murder mystery I've seen. And actually, he said he'd figured it out, and I thought I did, but I, I gave it some time, but I didn't figure out anything until the end. And I just, there was parts in it that were funny, you know, and they got the drama. The old grandmother, well, the really, really old grandmother. <laughs> the ancient. She had the one part. <laughs> she was sitting there, and he came down. And uh, uh, Daniel Craig comes down. I forget what he said, but he's scared the living crap out of her. She scared the living crap out of him. And he's mm-hmm. like, good God, or something like that. <laughs> I laughed so hard. But it was just, the I don't Ryan Johnson just, uh, this was a home run. Um, everything about it. Uh, all the corners that were turned, all the story that had to be put into it about, you know, how he died and, you know, all this person did and all that person did. And it just got me thinking, you know, all kinds of different directions. And I've been waiting for a good murder mystery, albeit 
I don't really consider Ready or Not a murder mystery, but it was a really good one of the year. Oh, no. Last year. It, yeah, it wasn't a murder um, mystery. But some people consider it a murder mystery, but just because of the you know the trailers. But Knives Out, I would, like I said, I've been waiting for a good murder mystery, and I highly, highly wish you people would go see this. I don't know how much money it made. I'm I'm but, pretty sure it did pretty well. Oh, I was. I mean, our the, our theater was packed, and we got an early screening. Yeah, and this it was completely awesome. I cannot wait to buy this on friggin' 4K. <laughs> I, 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 I had to throw that in there because some of us have 4K, <laughs> others don't. Soon enough, and soon enough. Maybe. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I already mentioned about that. So. I only had a few quarrels with it, but Knives Out, yeah, was a blast. My number three was one of your honorable mentions, and it is so high up on my list because, to me, it's the realest movie of the year. It has two of the best performances I have seen of 2019, and that's Marriage Story. Another Netflix movie that is so grounded and unapologetically real. The one... Considered weird it. by one of our coworkers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scarlett Johansson, I think, gives her best performance I've seen her in. Adam Driver, I think, gives the best performance of his c- career as far as this year goes, which was a stacked year. Um, but it was just so viscerally real that I couldn't help but get into it and showing that, yeah... Uh, divorce is an ugly thing and it turns people into ugly people sometimes without even having to say a whole lot because there's a especially one part where they're not saying anything to each other and you can just feel that <coughs> tension and stuff between them uh, but it it also to me shows that there's not one bad person in this it's a complete gray because that's what people are they're gray not to say anything about Paul, but uh, you're given the side of Scarlett Johansson's character, like how she has felt from Adam Driver for years, but then you also get how she goes about acting as far as with the divorce proceedings. And yeah, you can look at it and you can go, excuse me for this, but what a bitch! To, you, you, you can go for that, but you also can look at it as but that's what happens. That's what people do whenever they take that road. Um, and again, I think it has. It also has only one part where you can say that it goes a little bit over the top, but I felt like the whole film, without doing that, had earned it, and I think that that actually would have happened in real life. And as Mr... <laughs> Adam Driver said it on a late night show talking about this film. He said it's a look at a beautiful marriage through divorce. Because they come to the terms that, yeah, they developed and loved each other, but they're not meant for each other. And 50% of marriages end in divorce, and a lot don't cover it. And when they do, they don't do it well. So... When one does, I'm going to show recognition to it, and this was just the epitome of it. Number three, <laughs> marriage story. And I'm going to get this out of the way here. I have overlooked, we both have the exact same. 
number two and number one. Oh. So we can just talk about them together, both. So which which do you want to introduce, this one or the next one? I'll introduce number one. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you have that. Uh, our number two film. Oh, and before you say uh-huh. anything, both these movies came out on the same day on DVD. Yep, very true. Uh, both are also uh, psychological thrillers, too. Uh, number two for 2019, surely not a money-grabbing and award-getting film right now. And that's Joker, starring Joaquin Phoenix as Alan Fleck, a.k.a. the Joker, and his descent into becoming the Joker. This started out as a full-on joke to everybody. <laughs> Funny. Uh, that they were going to make an origin Joker movie. And they're like, yeah, Robert De Niro's also going to be in it. Hey, Joaquin is going to be the star. Everybody was like, no, that ain't going to happen. And then Todd Phillips is going to direct it, the guy of the Hangover movies. Yeah, that'll happen. <laughs> and then when it started to come, like get like shots on the street, because there was that infamous YouTube videos and stuff shown of Joaquin like dressed as the Joker, running through the streets. Everybody's like, wait, no, this actually is happening. And then when the first trailer came out, I was fully invested and sold and then when I saw even more from the next one I was just like oh my gosh this this could be amazing and it was <laughs> uh, I think Joaquin gives the performance of the year I think that he is an arguably in every right he could be up for one of the best jokers of all time you could make the argument for live action against him and Heath Ledger because again Mark Hamill's is animated, and I'll still hold that as a high regard considering I have him on my tattoo. But to me, Joaquin showed the descent into the madness and what it, how it happens, and that it doesn't take Batman to really be the influence for this. It's society and politics and all this stuff. Because here's the other thing. If you don't want politics in your movies, don't see Joker. Because it's touching on everything that's happening right now. Like with the whole we are clowns, the elite. No, I'm not talking about being the elite. I'm talking about the rich. Um, and then the twists that it takes. The fact like that you're already going, what? And then it does does two more at the end. Or maybe even three or four. And the only like small nitpicks I had on it after I had thought about it and I heard about theories about this kind of dissolved which were the uh, connections like with Gotham and Batman and stuff like that as soon as I heard these theories and the more I thought about it and the more I watched it again I was like no I, I, I don't have a problem with this now as much it's still there you can make the argument on screen because these are just theories but until I hear that they're confirmed, I'm just going to roll with this. Uh, yeah, I mean, is there really much more I could say? But, yeah, this just blew me away. I love the art directing. I love the score, especially the second time I watched it. I really felt like I dug it. And, again, it's just helmed by a great performance 
by great story. So, Joker is my number two. Anything you want to add? God. <clears throat> so, before this movie even came out, I saw Joaquin Phoenix was going to be cast as Joker. And I got a lot of shit from people saying, you know, he couldn't do it. Why is he doing it? You know, what in the hell are they thinking? In my mind, I was extremely excited he was doing it. Um, one of the few, probably, people that... Todd Phillips kind of was like, okay, that's kind of weird. But when I saw this, man, <laughs> we did see it with an interesting group, too. Yeah. Uh, but I think... One that initially told us, you like this crap! It was a story i kind of been wanting to see, you know, as Joker, because, you know, Arthur Fleck was, in this, was wearing kind of two masks, if you think about it. He was wearing the one he paints... Mm-hmm. For his day job, and then he was wearing the one he kind of projects in like a futile attempt to feel like he's part of the world. And it, it, this got extremely dark. I mean, <laughs> I, as, as it should have yep. at times. And it's not going to be for everybody. I understand that. Ooh. But it was for me. And his. It wasn't even before the movie. It was before the movie. All of his stuff that he had to do. You know, he had to. Get the laugh down right. Losing a godly amount of weight. Yeah. Um, the way he prepared for this role, I was extremely appreciative of that. And uh, the score was great. Um, I just think, in my mind, he is the top of the food chain. That didn't sound right. <laughs> top of the line when it comes to Joker. I think he is number one. Mm-hmm. I understand people, you know, I understand Ledger. Fantastic, you know, Mark Hamill voice is fantastic, but I think this pushed me or pushed him at the top of the list, and I really had nothing bad to say about it. I was enthralled the whole time. Robert De Niro, he wasn't it that much, but he was great when he was in it, and the fact that it just was cool to see, you know, him as kind of a, I don't know, a regular person. He's getting bullied all the time, and just seeing, I don't know, his transformation. And oh, it was evil as fuck. And uh, there was a part that involved him in his apartment. Mm-hmm. What was it his apartment? Which part? Uh, it was towards the end when he killed the dude. Was it was in his, his apartment. Yeah, his apartment. That part. <laughs> he let the one guy out. Well, yeah, because uh, he, he was like, you were yeah. nice to me. Yeah. And, you know, treating him like he's a person. And, you know, I just... I was, I'm speechless right now. The Joker was fantastic. I I hate the people are, you know, putting bad... Sh- there are people that are putting bad shit oh, on yeah. it, but I, I would definitely watch it and check it out before you say anything. Because this is a movie where we've been waiting for. And I would I was, I was waiting for a Joker movie without bats. I just yeah. wanted to see what, what it would be like, and this met every one of my expectations. Uh, and three other things I'm going to throw in here... Uh, so, yeah, it's easily also one of the top-grossing films of the year, uh, which means we're going to be getting a sequel, which I am... Uh, but if it's the same team, I'll be wanting to check it out. Uh, the, and I loved how it's an origin story, but it doesn't actually answer anything and keeps him a mystery, which I 
was my biggest thing going into it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. However, as Nick will point out, as much as we loved Joker, and as much as Joaquin Phoenix's performance was tremendous oh. yeah. and fantastic, there is, however, one film that got pushed over it for both of us, and it also deals with insanity, too. And what is that movie, Nick? Well, <laughs> Robert Eggers, man. I. It's The Lighthouse. Spoiler alert! But, so, if you would have told me before the year started, 2019, if I, it would have been about, you know, guys stranded on an island about in a lighthouse, mm-hmm. it would have been my favorite movie. I would have been like, bullshitting. But this... <laughs> Oh my god. I'll I'll let you go ahead and talk about it. Okay. But I yeah. Uh yeah, so Lighthouse which stars Willem Dafoe, Robert Pattinson. Pretty much they're the only Basically, two. That's it. Yeah. That is the only two there. Um stranded on a, and have to upkeep a lighthouse. Uh Willem Dafoe is the uh kind of appointed captain basically. He likes to go by captain because uh, he says he used to run a ship. Um, he's in charge and Robert Pattinson is like his lackey or as he sometimes calls him the dog uh, makes him do the disgusting work uh, and I believe that this is set in the early 1800s which would make a whole lot of sense because 1890s 1890s okay uh, because boy it does look like that and shot in black and white which, which was the right decision because uh, then it gives it that old uh, horror style, like with the Frankenstein and Mummy and stuff like that. Also, it's interestingly framed because it's a smaller frame, frame perception on the screen. And what that does is it makes it feel more enclosed. And the second time that I watched it, I actually saw it twice in theaters, and I watched it again as soon as I got it on Blu-ray. Uh, what I noticed more with that uh, tight enclosure is it works especially when it's the dark parts with uh, them standing next to each other or sitting next to each other and just candle, basically, because then that really shows the darkness behind them. Uh, but this... Like, how can you really describe it? Because you can make so many theories and you can say, like, what this interprets it. But if I had to narrow it down to what this was, is it's a, like Joker, <laughs> descent into madness. <laughs> because uh, you're... Because you got to think about also their situation. They're running a lighthouse where they're the only two people there. They are basically living together and have to put up with each other. And hearing the same disturbing sounds every day. Ah! And, oh, <laughs> that's not a fart. Yeah. Um, which comes from the lighthouse, too. Uh, but then some of the imagery here. We see, like, mermaids. We see... I don't know, tentacles at one point. And it's just like, what? What is this? And it never, like, 
was a thing that frustrated me because I was like, I want to know what this means. I was like, no, there's something here. But then when I just look at it on the, again, on the base level, I can understand it. Um, but this, if I didn't say that Joaquin gives the single best performance, I think that Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe are the best duo of the year because they give it 100%, especially Willem Dafoe, <laughs> who has dialogue that is uh-huh. just... I love that. I, I don't even know what he's really talking about sometimes, but his performance, and he's just captivating. And then Robert Pattinson, again, who is a.k.a. the new Batman, shows, he goes from, you know, that calm demeanor and, like, not saying a whole lot. And then when he, like, lets everything out, it's just, again, captivating and amazing. And I got to see this when I went to California in a special theater, so that was an interesting experience. But I was like, I need to get back home, and I want to go see that again. And I went with Damon, who was definitely appropriate to see this, because he also loved it. Uh, I think, if anything, this should win technical awards. Because the coloring, the cinematography with the color, the way that it's shot, the way it's helmed. But it has to get appreciation for the story and the acting, because that is, you're left with two people, and they're awesome. Yeah, Lighthouse has just captivated me every time, and I want to keep watching it. So that's why it's my favorite movie. Yeah, I just think it was the way it was, you know. It's also different. Yeah, black and gray the whole time. I just thought it was really cool, and I didn't, I didn't know what to expect from that because you know I'd seen the trailers and was like, oh, I wasn't sure if it was going to eventually turn into color, but happy it didn't. And it was definitely led by the power duo performance, you know. Really, the only two actors in the movie, yeah. Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, and um, it was the way that, well, the beginning. This is pretty much the first thing you hear is a fart from Willem Dafoe, and that's pretty much a continuation <laughs> throughout the whole movie about how much it annoys him, and I think he's doing it on purpose because he annoys it. And, and you know, Robert Pattinson's thrown into the situation where actually previous people have been thrown into this, yep. and they've gone mad, mm-hmm. and then so. Basically, Willem Dafoe, you can already tell he's kind of mad, but I think the buildup of Robert Pattinson's madness is yeah. more interesting. And he, <laughs> uh, He's already on edge, too, when he first gets there. And just, gosh, the, I didn't, it didn't remind, like, even mind, like, some of the randomness stuff. Like, <laughs> the goals, and then the seagulls had a big part in this. Mm-hmm. And actually, that ended up being something towards the end. Um, but... Just the chemistry those two had, I was enthralled the whole time. This movie impacted me more than any other one. I've seen it twice now. I did watch it at home, and so there's uh, just everything. There's nothing not to like about this movie. I just think Robert Eggers has shown he's immensely talented in this, especially. And I hope this is up for awards. Multiple awards, I hope. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be cinematography, whatever. I hope it wins something. It doesn't matter yeah. if it's small or big or whatever, but this movie definitely should be recognized, and this is probably one of my favorite movies of the decade. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not too much else I could mention. <laughs> this was just the thralling experience of the theater for me, and it just continued on and on. Uh, 
Again, though, I, I will actually throw in there that if you do see this and you're not a fan, I can't understand it. There's especially some imagery in here that I was just like, did I need to see that? Oh. Yeah, there's a little bit of a... But that didn't make me hate it. Uh, yeah, so, and like how I previously mentioned, another thing that I want to throw in there, why it, you can make the argument for it to beat Jokers, it's a more original, it's not based on a previous property. It's only based on an idea from a true story, and then weird elements. I'll explain it perfectly, I heard somebody say it. It's like watching the lighthouse is like being stuck in a nightmare <laughs> without understanding how nor why. Yeah, that's so. pretty good. And and also the it, the fact that this is also the person's uh, Robert Eggers sophomore, along also with Jordan Peele, because mm-hmm. I also really like The Witch. I like this one just a bit more though. Uh, so, <laughs> a couple of deranged psychological thrillers were our, were our favorite two <laughs> the deck of this year. What does that tell you? <laughs> About our minds, about our mindsets, I don't know, oh, but God. I will not be surprised though if these are probably Damon's also top two mm-hmm. of the year. So, will they be Jamie's? Oh, she won't even. <laughs> no, she she'll like get through like probably, I don't know, twenty minutes of Lighthouse and be like, what the fuck <laughs> is this? This is crap. Joker, she I don't know if she'll watch it. I, uh, but you know. As we mentioned in our beginning of our worst, uh, yeah, it was a slow buildup, but yeah. once that buildup happened, boy, there was a number that came out. Yeah. Streak uh, there. Yeah. I cannot recommend every one of these films that we talked about as much, it, uh, other than the worst ones. <laughs> worst ones, I'm going to say stay away, except for the ones that you probably should watch for fun. Yeah. yeah. Easily the top one being The Fanatic. <laughs> <laughs> which that will be a rotten eggs at some point. Uh, other than that, 2019 has officially ended. However, I'm just going to throw this out there now. Because you started 2020, technically with a film, and that was The Grudge. So give your small, precise feelings on the grudge and your start of 2020 because i have technically not started typical january horror uh this is one of the worst if not the worst january horror movie um added nothing gave nothing to the franchise not that the grudge really was a good franchise i feel like the japanese movies were better and a lot of people think that apparently the grudge and the ring girl have a crossovers (laughs) In Japan. And I actually kind of want to see that now. <laughs> but I will definitely be talking about this movie within this next year because... Well, that, obviously, I, I, I can't... It is my worst because I really haven't seen anything else, but I got a feeling it's going to be up there because it's, you know, it was... You, you never know. It was boring. Crap. Why? <laughs> John Cho, I don't understand what... I, I like John Cho, and then I saw he was in this. I was like... Hmm. I, yeah, I can't wait to talk about this movie and go into more detail, I should say, because it was not a great start to 2020. Well, on that note, 2019, whew, what a year. Comic book movies, 
Disney. Disney. I believe we have four. Disney. Comic book movies is next year, I believe. Uh, I would not be surprised. And also, just as a another fun fact that I shared with him, uh, Disney distrib- distributed seven of the top ten movies. And multiple of them were ones we didn't care for, so what does that say? Uh, nostalgia and Disney... Disney especially is going to own the world at some point. So <laughs> let's get ready to Heil Mickey. I can't disagree with you. Uh, but I'm going to hope that they'll at least be putting out better material. That well, already scared me for the future. They, they have, but we'll see. Yep. Uh, also, haven't finished the series yet in 2019, Mandalorian, oh. but that has been my favorite Star Wars thing in the past decade. Uh, other than that, want to plug anything? <laughs> uh, Facebook, Nick Wood, they, uh, Instagram, I said it right this time. Yeah. Niggers underscore chicken 87, uh, Twitter, Niggers chicken. Follow Crazy Poultry Inc., please. That's about it. And I'm your host, Gaio Loco, Mr. Ian Novak. Find me at GaioLoco89 on Twitter. Ian Novak, Facebook, if you wanna. Instagram, I don't really plug, I don't care. Because uh, <laughs> it's also too long. Um, Any movie off the top of your head you're looking forward to this next year? Oh boy. I, I almost, almost, almost kind of need to look, because I don't remember all that's coming out. I okay, well, I, I, off I, the top of my head. I kind of hope that it does come out, because I want to finally see it, New Mutants. <laughs> off the top of my head, I'm really excited for Wonder Woman. Yes, I am. I hope they continue the streak with Patty Jenkins and her at the helm and Gal Gadot being the best one of them. Uh, Black Widow. Uh, you know what? I'm going to name a Jan- I'm going to name a Disney movie that I'm actually more interested in. Onward. Now, and that's Mulan. Oh. I'm excited for Onward. I'm kind of iffy on it. Uh, but other than that, please go back and check out the other episodes. Feel free. And, yeah, not 2020, hindsight is that. Will we get that this year? Not only in film, but in the world. Who knows? And, yes, I am going to drag you into my suffrage this year. I gave him a break last year. I think you've given me a break the last five years. <laughs> which I don't know why, but, I mean, you could say you're trying to be a good friend, uh. but... That also makes some, makes some interesting discrepancies with worse. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh well. Till then, ne- next time, keep going to the movies, especially if they're very good, and please support the more independent ones. A24. A24, Leica, Disney, they're making money, they're fine. You can go see that, you know, week after it comes out. The only one that wasn't a big hit was Dumbo. All you really gotta do is subscribe to Disney Plus, because that's been out of the Pretty part. much. Uh, but other than that, 2019 officially over for us here, and boy, I got a lot that I did like, as you can see yeah. on the desk. Uh, but other than that, all out, all done, 2020, here we come. Bye, all.